I'm Alec Baldwin, and you are listening to Mission Daily. Selected as Best of 2018 by Apple, Mission Daily is the number one podcast for accelerated learning. For the past several decades and for the foreseeable future, Silicon Valley is where the future is being born. Why? What separates Silicon Valley from everywhere else in the world? To learn more about the history and future of the Valley, Chad sat down with writer and historian Adam Fisher. Adam is the author of Valley of Genius, the uncensored history of Silicon Valley. In part one of this two-part interview, Chad and Adam discuss the importance of oral history, why Silicon Valley works, and Netscape's impact on the modern web. Hey everyone, welcome to the Mission Daily. I'm Chad Grills, and I'm joined by a special guest today, Adam Fisher. He is an author, a journalist, and so much more. His first book is called Valley of Genius, and he joins us today to talk about the writing process and hopefully a little bit of the background of Silicon Valley. Adam, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks. So Adam, your book jumped out at me, and I'm a Silicon Valley buff. I didn't grow up here, but my wife and I moved here two years ago. And I'm fascinated by the Valley culture, its history. And when I saw the book and read it, I immediately reached out to you to get you on the podcast. Um, I think it's important for a number of reasons, but I would love to hear from you about, you know, when did the idea for the book first come up? And uh, yeah, what were the early origins of the book? Well, it's funny, you know, I had uh, written a, um, a piece about Google, Google's mapping kind of program that just kind of somehow by mistake ended up on the cover of the New York Times Sunday magazine <laughs> and then was uh, besieged by agents uh, <laughs> wanting to represent me because apparently guys without agents do not get on the cover of the New York Times Sunday magazine very often. And it was really time for me to um, to write a book because I just just had a baby and I and I, you know, I'd always been writing about technology because that's my primary interest having grown up in Silicon Valley. But I was also doing quite a bit of travel journalism and, and art kind of journalism that I needed to travel for. But I was like, oh, I need a book. And I was working on a proposal to do like a big like maps, maps, future of GIS book. And I was just I was just struggling with it because I guess I didn't care that much. And I did, I did sign up with an agent, a guy I'd known since, since I was like a cub reporter 20 years ago. And he called me up and he said, hey, I just had a dinner with a very important uh, editor, book editor with his own imprint. And, and he is looking for an oral history of Silicon Valley. And before the phrase even got out of his mouth, I was just screaming yes. It was just so <laughs> obvious it needed to be done. And it was just so ambitious of an idea that I hadn't allowed myself to think about it. But once I heard those four words, I knew I had to do it. And I knew it was the book that I needed to write because one of my big kind of frustrations with the, you know, the media elite of which I was a card carrying member was that they totally didn't get Silicon Valley, a place I'd grown up in. Their stories about Silicon Valley were not 
the Silicon Valley, I recognized having grown up there, having hung out, you know, in the server rooms and on the playa and, you know, just with, you know, with geeks. Because I was a geek. I, I grew up in Silicon Valley. I was programming computers, my own computer in 1981, you know, kind of kept it up a little bit ever since as a hobby. And I just kind of mis by mistake had ended up as a journalist. So it was really the book that I, I was born to write. Those are always the best projects to take on, right? The ones that you're, uh, your biology is in a sense like excited about. Let's back it up for a second. Speaking of biology, congratulations on your, uh, your first child. <laughs> yes. Yes. She's now five. So she's exactly the same age as the book. Awesome. Yeah. So my wife and I uh, just had our first son. He just turned 10 months and, uh, it adds a whole nother level of inspiration and perspiration, I guess, to, uh, yeah. Yeah. To well, work. Yeah. You know, I also wanted to do something kind of big to kind of impress her. Sure. It was weird. Yeah, it really, it really pushed me to a whole new level of ambition. Yeah. And uh, same here. And you mentioned something really fascinating, which is you started to get excited about this project when the oral history idea came up. And in our modern world, when we go to school, when we're reading history books or textbooks or generally anything historical, we've lost the oral tradition, I guess. The oral tradition part of it is uh, kind of absent in many places, but you decided to bring that back. Could you tell us a little bit about why you chose oral history for this book and why you think it's important? Yeah. So oral history, let's just define the term. It's really a term of art for 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 kind of magazine people. Uh, it's, sure. It's it's not it's not a term that's well known. Oral history is not a transcript. Okay, it is a kind of nano nonfiction journalism format, a kind of genre where what you do is you go back to whatever historical moment you want to capture and you talk and you interview at length all the primary sources and transcribe those interviews and then cut them together so that the final product reads as if all those people were sitting around a big table on you know maybe drinking at a bar, that was my image, telling stories, telling tales, and interrupting each other, and finishing each other's sentences, and giving their different takes on the same event. And it really has a lot in common with documentary film making. I'm cutting up transcript instead of celluloid, but it's, it's really the same process. And I fell in love with this genre when I was an editor at Wired. I was at Wired for, you know, nearly a decade. And I just loved it because it essentially cuts the writer out of the picture. It It is as close to you, you can get to an unfiltered kind of story, you know, as you can get. I mean, obviously, there's 
I'm kind of the director of this grand movie called Valley of Genius, right? And so right. my my biases creep in. But it really was chosen, the genre, the form was chosen because I didn't want to write Adam Fisher's take on Silicon Valley. I sure. wanted something more profound, which was the view of Silicon Valley by the people of, you know, Silicon Valley's of history and thus meaning by the people who actually made Silicon Valley important because they made the most important things. Okay. Imagine going to the source material or the sources themselves. <laughs> yeah. Which is like a lost art, right? The reason no one does oral histories, really, the reason it's a micro genre is that it's 10 times at least harder than doing an ordinary history, okay? Right. Because, you know, you, I, I had to interview at length over 200 people, a lot of them actual billionaires, most of them, you know, Deca or centimillionaires, you know, people who were kind of famous in this little world we call Silicon Valley, um, sometimes legitimately famous, you know, travel with bodyguard type of guys. And, you know, I had to get to them, right? In a normal, if I was writing a normal story, you know, maybe I get to one or two of these guys, um, but, you know, I wouldn't have to get to the 10 others that were also there. And if there were something I needed to explain that was just kind of an obvious bridge, you know, I could just maybe look, uh, you know, do a quick glance of Wikipedia and write my own version, right, of what, you know, something about, I don't know, building the Apple II or what, whatever point I was trying to explain. But I can't do that. I had to get a billionaire to say every sentence that I effectively wanted to write. And that is difficult. You know, Very I... Difficult. I ended up, so it, so it takes a long, long time. It took me four years solid, no vacations, no seeing friends, no breaks to actually get it done, piece it together. And, you know, really most of that time is just shoe leather, just pounding the pa pavement, trying to get these interviews. And by the end of those four years, I had something like 10 million words of primary material, which is if you just want to visualize a printout, it's a printout that would go from floor to, well, my ceiling, which is over 10 feet. It's like a Neil Stevenson book. Yeah. And then, and then you just, <laughs> just have good. to, and then, and then the rest is actually editing. It, it, again, like film editing, it's a kind of an artful process where you have to just whittle it all down to the, you know, for me, it was 500 pages of absolutely essential kind of stories. The stories that you need to know if you kind of want to understand where the valley is coming from, at least. And, and really, it was for guys like you and, and, and women, women like your wife. It was like for people who came to Silicon Valley drawn by the bright lights and the potential and the excitement and the future, really, and just needed to get up to speed and just needed to join the conversation. I really just, I just had, because it the book in, in my view is so short, you know, one volume, 
I really boiled it down to the, the most important stories that, that kind of everybody kind of knows if they grew up here or had a long career here. But mm-hmm. essentially nobody knows who got here, you know, in the last decade. Yeah. I mean, the subtitle of the book is The Uncensored History of Silicon Valley, and then parentheses, as told by the hackers, founders, and freaks who made it boom. And what I loved most about the book is that it's uh, the interviews you picked and the how you pruned and edited the oral history. I mean, you kept many things in that are that require some courage to leave in. Let's just put it that way. It's uh, uncensored. So whether it's, you know, drugs or partying or dicey legal run-ins and conversations and stuff, you were brave enough to leave a lot of that in. And I think in the mainstream for lack of a better word, in the mainstream media's version of what Silicon Valley is, these stories are all left out. Could you speak a little bit to some of the parts of the book where you felt a little nervous including them? Or what was that process like? Well, you're right. I mean, these are the real stories because these are the stories that you you hear if you're really in it. You know, you get the truth. And, you know, the mainstream media, by and large, is in New York City. And when a guy or a woman flies out, you know, and I've seen it happen, the New Yorker, the New York Times Magazine, the Atlantic, they come out, they do their story, they have their idea before they even come. And usually they, they get snowed. They just get taken, you know, they report (laughs) things that are physically impossible. Okay. Like, like physics, like as I grew up, you know, came up through the magazine ranks as fact checking and I, and I'm, but I'm enough of a geek to know a little physics and I'm like, you know, the physics says impossible. First principles don't go out of style. They might, it might go out of style temporarily, but they will return eventually with vengeance. So, so there was this long period where, where, you know, that New York, immediately got snowed and and now we're in this period where they realize you know that something's rotten in Denmark and they're like trying to find it sometimes they do a great job and sometimes they just pick the wrong target they just you know and and take down people who are you know universally respected as great guys and great you know great people so yeah so i I guess I'm enough of a kind of, you know, have that kind of outsider thing where I I really wanted to do as a corrective. So it wasn't, it wasn't hard to put the fact that Google was founded at Burning Man into the, into the story. I just, you know, I just, it's something everybody who was kind of there knows and no one who wasn't there does, you know, Sure. Realizes like I, I thought, it, or or the fact that Facebook, the early now this is becoming more and more clear, but the early days of Facebook was like one long frat party, you know, <laughs> one long beer pong sesh, you know, <laughs> programming drunk, uh, you know, Napster, which which is a very close connection to Facebook. I don't think people realize how close, you know, same thing. Their top guy, their CTO, who programmed most of it, stoned. You know, stuff like that. It just needs to be. It needs to be told. Definitely. Don't you feel like this gives permission to 
so many of the people who might be on the fringes of ballet culture to maybe revisit what they think is possible and maybe just give themselves a little bit of permission to not capitulate to what others want their company to be. But, you know, in a sense, I feel like this is a very empowering book because it allows you to view your quirkiness or flaws or, you know, the origins of your company in kind of a, a special light to maybe get a little uh, cliche or uh, silly there. But yeah, do, I mean, do you feel like this was a book you wrote? Did you write it to give permission to other people? What was the motivation there for you? Well, I mean, it's just the basic journalistic motivation is I just wanted to establish the truth. But yes, right. there was a there is a larger point, a kind of meta point, which is, you know, why why does Silicon Valley work and, you know, Boston doesn't or, you know, parts of Texas doesn't or why, you know, still Seattle, New York just kind of pathetic when you think of companies that come out of of those places and they 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 have vcs and they have great universities they have young people who want to change change things have ambition so why here why is the technological power in the future really so concentrated here and you know there's a lot of answers but i think one part of it that's overlooked is the the fact that uh, the Bay Area's kind of native culture, which really, which really was a psychedelic culture, really a drug culture until quite recently, kind of, you know, it's not the same culture as the tech tech culture coming out of the of uh, engineering schools in the Valley and, and Berkeley, mm-hmm. but it's it's a parallel culture, and there's so much kind of gene kind of swapping where the psychedelic culture kind of really adopted the the kind of hacker tech culture starting in the 80s really and the tech culture kind of adopted the think outside the box anything goes ethos of the psychedelic culture and it is really the merging of those two cultures that that made Silicon Valley the the center of the world. I mean, that's what it is today. It's where all the value is being created, at least new things, pretty much. It's where the future is is being born. Everyone's watching Silicon Valley, for sure. And I feel like oral histories, so whenever I read biography or anything, I, I always look for what or- Orwell reminds us to look for, which is, you don't want to trust anything unless it reveals something disgraceful, basically. And I, I don't want to, disgraceful is a pretty pretty harsh word, but I feel like there are just so many instances in here of where creation and invention, it just always, it doesn't look like you think. What were some of the most surprising stories that you know you thought you knew going into them, but after you talked to that person who was actually there, you know, what were the big surprises? Were there a couple or what were your favorites? I mean, the the really beautiful thing about going back to primary store sources, which I which I kind of relearned, was that is that you always kind of learn something new. So I thought I really knew early Apple history, and yet because I was an Apple fanboy, I mean, I grew up with that that stuff. Uh, I remember when Apple II came out, 
but I but I learned a lot there. I mean, we talked about the the you know more modern post Netscape companies. The real kind of undergraduate flavor of, of Facebook and Google in the earliest days, you know, the kind of like you know the real the real thing that that came out of this breakthrough was this period from eighty four to ninety five in Silicon Valley. So this is between the Macintosh's launch and Netscape's I, IPO. And this was a period where the Valley was kind of down and out. You know, Microsoft, the Microsoft monopoly on the operating system, it kind of sucked out all the the air in the room. They were either buying or mostly destroying any any new idea coming out of Silicon Valley by just adopting it into their own operating system and kind of choking, choking off all competition. And basically, no good idea really could last very long. So this is when the first cell phones were created. This was when the first social media platforms were created. This is when virtual reality was created. They all failed. But what I realized was, you know, this is if you look through a slightly different lens and you talk about the ethos and the and the cultural history and where the ideas come from, this is an incredibly rich period. Again, this is where all the ideas that we're just starting to explore now were born and tested out. Again, social media with cell phone as a platform and now coming soon to a headset new year, you, you know, virtual reality. This was part one of our discussion with Adam Fisher. If you enjoyed this and don't want to miss the second part where Adam and Chad discuss the future of the Valley, be sure to subscribe. Thanks for listening. Mission.org is a media company with a daily newsletter, network of podcasts, and brand studio designed to accelerate learning. Head to Mission.org to get award-winning podcasts like The Mission Daily, The Story, IT Visionaries, Education Trends, Marketing Trends, Future of Cities, and more. Mission Studios has worked with companies like Salesforce, Twilio, and Katera, to create custom media channels that drive results. Make sure to subscribe to the Mission's daily newsletter at mission.org. Hey listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time.